Good morning. If you have your Bibles, would you meet me in Acts chapter 1? Acts chapter 1, verse 1 through 11 is where we'll be in God's word this morning. As was just said, I'm I'm Evan, one of the pastors here at Christ Central, and we're glad to be worshiping the Lord with you uh, this morning. Uh, We have been in a sermon series entitled, entitled Resurrection Stories. We have been looking at a variety of encounters that took place in between the time of Jesus rising from the dead and to the day of Pentecost uh, to see how the Lord concluded his earthly ministry. Uh, Next Sunday is Pentecost Sunday, and Pastor Daniel will conclude this series. And today, uh, we get to look at one more resurrection story, uh, Christ's ascension. In this Eastertide season, we, uh, we take a moment to look at the ascension of Christ, a moment where the Lord, uh, G- Jesus, left to sit at the right hand of the Father and to intercede or pray for us, as Romans 8.34 says. And in doing so, we'll get to see both the conclusion of Jesus' ministry and the continuation of it through his people. The mission of the church has remained the same uh, as we follow the Lord in spreading his glory. Uh, It is at the ascension that we see a fuller expression of the Great Commission uh, that Pastor Daniel preached a few weeks ago. Uh, And that mission continues for God's people today. And so we'll take some time this morning to consider what that means for us. And so if you're able, I want to invite you to stand as we read together Acts chapter 1 verse 1 through verse 11. Hear now the word of the Lord. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you. We can turn to you knowing that you will always carry us through. Lord, we, we need you. 
We need your guidance in your word by your Holy Spirit. When we open your word, you open your mouth, you speak. That's what I ask that as I speak to the ear, you would speak to the heart and transform lives. May someone who does not know you this day know you and be transformed. And Lord, may the words of my mouth and meditation of all our hearts be acceptable unto you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. A few years ago, there was a national crisis in the UK. They ran out of chicken. I'm serious. Uh, In 2018, KFC, aka Kentucky Fried Chicken, had to close almost 900 stores for a period because they ran out of chicken. There was a delivery issue that kept the stores from receiving their supplies, so they had to temporarily shut down, and citizens lost their minds. KFC crisis became a trending hashtag on social media. People were actually calling the police to report it as an emergency. Uh, It got so bad, the calls were so frequent that the police department had to issue a statement to to tell the public, stop calling us because this is not something the police deal with. The outrage was comedic in one sense, but the message was pretty clear from the public to KFC. Chicken is what you were made for. So chicken is what you should offer. A Kentucky Fried Chicken with no chicken is a problem. Even more so, a Christian with no mission, that's a problem. Scripture teaches that the Lord has always wanted to use his people to show forth his glory. He essentially has said, glory is what you were made for, so glory is what you should offer. We're in a sermon series on resurrection stories. And you have probably noticed a bit of a theme of doubt in some of these stories, which I believe is actually a beautiful gift for us as God's people to see that. Because we get to see that even if you could uh, look Jesus in the eye face to face, you can still doubt. And what I love about the gospel is that in our sin and rebellion, in our shortcomings and setbacks, Jesus, he still says, I want to use you to offer my glory to the world. We often like to say here in the Shorter Westminster Catechism that the ultimate end, the chief end of humankind is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That is what we were made for, and so that is what we should offer. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus is preparing his disciples to be that offering to the world. He prepares them with three things, proofs, a promise, and power. Again, he prepares them for his mission with proofs. Uh, The book of Acts was written by a man named Luke, the the gospel writer. 
He wrote a two-volume set to Theophilus, and by extension, for the sake of God's people. And one aspect of Luke's writing that is distinct is his level of detail. He gives more to what's going on in the story, which is likely why he wrote more content of the New Testament than any other writer. And he explains why he gives so much detail. He does so at the beginning of his gospel in Luke chapter 1, verse 4. He writes that, uh, he wrote that, so that we may have certainty about what we have been taught. Certainty. Um, Luke doesn't just want us to know. He wants us to know that we know. And I love this because Luke makes clear that the invitation of the gospel is to test. Come, test it for yourself. Leverage your doubt so that you can know that you know. Because as the theologian Lisa Field says, a faith that has not been tested cannot be trusted. Luke says in, in Acts 1-3, Jesus came to his disciples with many proofs. He appeared to them over and over again. He, he walked through locked doors for them. He had meals with them. He walked with them. He explained how the mission is going forth. And all of this is in the midst of their doubt. And here's what he says in verse 3. He was speaking to them about the kingdom of God. He didn't just speak about the resurrection. He spoke to them about the kingdom, that the kingdom of God is the major focus of God's glory. Everything is an outworking of God's kingdom purposes. They are his proofs. Jesus' birth was for proof of the kingdom. Jesus' life was for proof of his kingdom. His death and his resurrection was for proof of his kingdom. Jesus ushered in an economy of citizens to transform the world. He put on display the manifested glory of his kingdom. And we see this focus in various places in Jesus' ministry. Luke 4, 43, he writes, I, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. Luke 9, 2, he says, he sent his disciples to proclaim the kingdom of God. Jesus would speak in, in parables and would say things like the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, a leavened bread, or a wedding feast. He would say things like the kingdom of the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus' ministry was about helping people to see it. Behold this glorious kingdom to prove to them that everything that they have been longing for yet missing from the kingdom of this world was finally near to them. And now these disciples, his church is called into doing this work. And Tony Evans puts it this way, the job of the church is not to adopt the culture or to merely assess and analyze the culture, but through its kingdom citizens to set heaven within the context of culture so that culture can see God at work in the midst of the strife of mankind. Jesus spent these 40 days with his disciples speaking about this kingdom, setting it within the context of the culture. 
In his conversations with them, he probably pointed back to much of what he had already taught them, much that he had already modeled for them because he wanted them to live as kingdom citizens. And so we receive these proofs in order to offer these proofs as people of the kingdom. Not only does Christ prepare his people with proofs, but secondly, Jesus prepares his disciples for mission with a promise. Verse 4 through verse 7, as Jesus is teaching about the kingdom, he, he points to the work of the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit working in us if we want to bring his glory to bear in the world. Amen? Jesus, he's pointing this out. He he tells the disciples to to wait in Jerusalem because there is a promise waiting for them. That's what happens when you wait. He has talked about this promise many times in his ministry. Luke even references his gospel where, where it says, John the Baptist baptized with water, but Jesus will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And we don't have time to wade into all the waters and controversies of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gets a bad rap sometimes. Christians often denigrate the Holy Spirit. He is often the neglected member of the Trinity. Too many people treat the Trinity like God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Intellect. Or they go to the opposite extreme and treat the Trinity like God the Father, Son, and Holy Emotions. The Holy Spirit does not fall in these extremes, but he operates and transcends all of that to point us to his mission for his purposes for the kingdom. Spirit is a major part of God's mission, and he worked through Jesus. And now in verse 4, Jesus promises that the Spirit will work through his people. The disciples don't fully understand yet. And so they asked a valid question. Do you see it in verse 6? They asked, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And that's actually a really good question. The longer I live, the longer I live as a Christian, we don't, we don't know exactly how the tone of this question came out. It's written word. But the more I read this passage over the years of my life, the more I hear this question in my head, I hear it more as a lament. Let me explain why. These men were Jews. Uh, they, 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 they knew their history. They knew of God's theocracy, his earthly kingdom through Saul and David and Solomon and and beyond. They they knew that at one point in their history, their kingdom was illustrious. It was powerful. And they also know that they have been in captivity and under oppression for centuries. Even now, in this conversation, Rome is in power oppressing God's people. And here's Jesus making these grand assertions of the kingdom of God. And we know that in his ministry, Jesus would often call back to the Old Testament and and say things like, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. 
Amen. That was Jesus' first documented sermon in Luke's gospel. Quoting Isaiah 61, he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and, and so much of the miraculous works of God are, have arrived. Favor, liberty, visions, recovery, it's here. And these 11 men know that scripture. They know Jesus' ministry. And they could probably remember scriptures like in Isaiah 49 where God says he will bring restoration to the people. They could think of Ezekiel 29 where God tells his people that he will pour out his spirit and gather his people back to their land. These are men that know their Bible. They know their history. And they're hearing Jesus use the right words, but will he use the right timing? He's talking about the Spirit of God. He's talking about the kingdom of God. And it begs the question, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Can you imagine the lament? What they're getting at is how long, oh Lord? Is it this moment? Will you reinstate what you did with David and Saul and Solomon? Will you bring back our, our former glory? It's such a good question. It's a good question because uh, they can see, they can see how much work there is left to be done. They can see when they survey the world, when they survey their community, when they survey their own lives, they see there is so much more restoration that is needed. They can see the gap between this grand vision of fullness and glory and the reality and the present realities of oppression and sin and their concern that I think is giving rise to the question is, how does the promise of God's kingdom matter today? How does it matter in my life? How does it matter to the poor? How does it matter to the oppressed? How does it matter to the sinner? Jesus, I, I hear the promise and I love it. It doesn't mean that the devastation I see in my life will be healed. Because you've given the promise, but my family is still struggling. You've given the promise, but my health is still struggling. You've given the promise, but my job is still struggling. Will you now bring restoration to Israel? And Jesus does not rebuke the disciples. He tells them, it's not for you to know the season and times that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Somebody missed this. I'm going to read it again. He says, it's not for you to know the season and times that the Father has fixed by his own authority. And I know somebody missed it because you would have said amen by hearing that. Because what Jesus is saying here is that whatever the devastation, whatever the suffering, whatever the issue, whatever your worry is, it's fixed. There's an expiration date on it. It's fixed. This is my father's world. And though the wrong seems often so strong, he is the ruler yet. 
The times and the seasons are fixed. That's the promise from our sovereign God. And Jesus, he expresses how the kingdom is already here and also yet to be revealed. And so as the song says, we labor unto glory until heaven and earth are one. We labor unto glory until God's kingdom comes. But he doesn't just stop with a promise. He continues on with power. Thirdly, Jesus prepares his people for his mission with power. Verse 8 is the most well-known of these verses. It functions as, as somewhat of a table of contents for the book of Acts. When the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples in chapter 2, what we see from chapter 2 through the end of the book in chapter 28 is the disciples' witness to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the then-known world, which 2,000-some-odd years later, the witness has reached us. America is the ends of the earth, even though we often think we're the center Pause right there. Um, um, and, and Jesus, he, he tells his disciples, all this is accomplished by the power of the Holy Spirit working through your witness. The topic of evangelism can be tense for people. So many of us feel uncomfortable with sharing our faith, especially if we live or, or work in an environment that feels hostile to the gospel. If you work at a job where you are the only Christian, the idea of a witness can feel dangerous. If you are part of a family where you are the only Christian, the, the idea of being a witness can feel dangerous. If you're in a friend group where you are the only Christian, being a witness can feel scary. And that's, that's why I like how Luke uses the word witness. You'll be my witness, and then use the word evangelist. Um, and I believe he uses that word intentionally because we are all natural witnesses uh, when it comes to that which we are excited for. We just, we're just naturally witnesses to that which is exciting to us. I didn't know that, that Pokemon cards were back popular. I, I didn't know. I, I didn't know, but I, I've been seeing it lately. I remember they came out across the waters when I was a middle schooler, and now they came back. I was shocked in this digital age, but I'm seeing kids with whole briefcases of Pokemon cards. Like, it's, it's, not a, it's not a game. And I remember coming out of the office uh, one day and walking through youth group, and I saw one of our youth with this collection of Pokemon cards. Now, I don't know much about Pokemon anymore, uh, but I knew that Charizard was still a thing. So I asked him, uh, do you have a Charizard card? I didn't know much about Charizard. I can't remember nothing about maybe Pikachu, but I knew that Charizard was still a big deal. So I asked him about his Charizard, and, it's, and he lit up. And he was telling me about how he loves Charizard and all this thing, and he was running it down for me, and I couldn't track with him, but he loved it. Because we're, we're natural witnesses for that which excites us. You can tell if someone likes their job by how they talk about it. You can tell if someone likes their family by how they talk about it. Because they light up. It's, it's natural for us to light up and be a witness about that which excites us. 
But gospel witness is a bit different, uh, isn't it? I mean, proclaiming the kingdom of God actually goes deeper. Uh, it, it saturates every aspect of our lives. Francis Chan in his book on the Holy Spirit writes, God is not just one thing we add to the mix called life. He wants an invitation from us to permeate everything and every part of us. We need power, not just excitement, for the permeation of God's kingdom in every aspect of our lives and our communities. We, we, we need power because excitement is not going to get us there. Because when we have power, we can be excited or sorrowful. We, when we have power, we can be angry or afraid because it's the power of the Holy Spirit. The disciples needed power. The disciples needed power to, to cross the boundary lines of ethnicity and culture, and so do we. The disciples needed power to cross the boundary lines of politics and economics, and so do we. We are called to go where the kingdom is advancing, and the kingdom is not just advancing in our comfort zone. It is advancing everywhere the darkness is, and that takes power. And the good news about that is that this power does not come from us. It does not come from our abilities. We might be the resource, but God is the source. He's the source of our strength. He's the strength of our lives. It's not by our power, nor by our might, but by the Holy Spirit. And so we can show up wherever we are. We can show up in our suffering. We can show up in our sorrow. We can show up in our joys and just be who we are and trust the Lord with the results. Because the Holy Spirit goes with us. And certainly that was the case for these 11 Galilean Jewish men who had probably never had a meaningful conversation with someone outside of their comfort zone. And yet they followed God. They followed God. They trusted the Spirit with the results. And as Acts 17, 6 says, they turned the world upside down. Jesus prepares his people for the work of his kingdom. Uh, because a Christian without a mission is a problem. And so we see that the Lord, he prepares us with proofs, a promise, and power. He does not leave us without it. And what I think binds all of this together is what we see in verse 9 through 11. Uh, verse 9 through 11, uh, we see Jesus ascending. This is the moment. Jesus ascended into heaven where he is even now praying for us. And it's, and it's kind of hilarious what's going on in these, in these verses. Uh, I, mean, I mean, verse 9 says, like, as they were talking, he, he gets lifted up. Like, as they are talking, he starts levitating. Like, what is going on? Um, and in verse 10 says, they, they're, they're gazing into the heavens. Uh, and, I, and I can only imagine what's going on. I'm just picturing these men. They're, Jesus just blew their minds with this mission uh, and just said what he said, and then boom, he pieces out. Like, for real? And, and now the text doesn't say what's going through their minds, but I could just see them being like, oh, so you're just going to drop this on us uh, and then just going to leave, huh? 
That, that's how we doing it. And, and we remember, we remember Matthew 28, 20. You, you just said that you would be with us always to the end of the age. Where are you going, Jesus? And we don't have the best track record with getting things done without you. Are you sure you want to leave us with this responsibility? Oh, okay, you're still going. Okay, 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 okay. And it says they were fixated until they couldn't see him anymore. Is he really giving us this? They forgot about John 16, 7. When, when Jesus said, it is for your benefit that I go away. Because when I go away, I will send the comforter, the, the helper to be with you. And it is at this moment, Jesus' ministry concludes and continues with his people. The church, by the power of the Holy Spirit, continues this mission. In verse 11, the, the two angels are so fixated the Lord had to send two angels to, to break the, the trance. Um, the angels tell him, why, why are you staring into heaven? This Jesus who was lifted into heaven will, will come back from heaven. Why? Why do they say that? Why is that the consoling words that mobilizes the disciples to do the mission? I believe it's because the disciples needed a better perspective. To, to not gaze at what just happened, but to gaze at what's to come. And let that mobilize them into the mission. Lots of churches are probably quoting or at least commemorating Dr. Tim Keller this morning. Um, uh, Dr. Tim Keller, he passed away this week from pancreatic cancer after years of battling and um, he has been a prolific author and speaker, is a leader in our denomination, uh, impacted many, many people um, by his ministry. And um, I didn't know who Tim Keller was until I went to seminary. And at the time, all I knew was that white people talked about him like he was the Pope. That's, that's, <laughs> that's all I knew. I was like, who is this man that y'all keep talking about, this bald man? Um, and ha I have since uh, learned more about him and his ministry uh, you hear today, you don't believe Jesus and have lots of questions and doubts. I commend his resources to you. His ministry has been a blessing to my life. His ministry has blessed this church in ways that most of you will likely never know. Um, and so uh, many folks are acknowledging that, uh, the Lord's faithfulness through this man on this day. And I, I remember seeing uh, an interview of Tim Keller. It was about a year after he had been diagnosed and he had been battling for a while. And he was being interviewed by, by someone and talking about the various things of like, how are you staying faithful, being entrenched in suffering? That's, you know, that's kind of the, the big obstacle for folks in believing, the, the presence of suffering. And so they asked him, what would you say to a young Christian who is nervous about the future? And he says, if Jesus Christ was actually raised from the dead, which he was, then everything is going to be all right. Whatever you're worried about, what, what, whatever you're afraid of, everything is actually going to be okay. Because we're not just talking about a resurrected people. He's coming back for a resurrected world. This world will be cleansed from all evil and all suffering and all sin. He's coming back. And the task will be completed 
by Christ. We don't have to muster up the strength. He's coming back. So the ministry of these disciples is fueled by hope. That, that, that's what it means to, to look ever to Jesus and trust that he will carry you through. By God's grace, we take hold of this hope. And may it cause us to experience a renewal in our strength. Such good news for those of us who are so weary and weak right now. But that's what he offers to his people. Let's pray. Lord, we need your help in knowing how to wait on you. We live in a culture of constant urgency, of frenzy, immediacy. Waiting often feels as morally wrong. Lord, you use waiting to strengthen us. And so, Lord, would you help us to know how to boast in our weakness, knowing that your strength is made perfect there. We need your help in being witnesses of your mission, to bear witness of your salvation, to bear witness of your sanctification, to bear witness of how faithful you are in our suffering. Would you enable us to do this this day? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.